Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho, and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship, and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 9 a.m. at Discovery Church in Boise, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption Hill. Today we are going to talk about um, something called missional listening prayer. Um, It's listening to God's voice as he sends us into the world. And one of the great things about like only preaching once every two to three months is that you can like preach on something that you're passionate about or is on your mind or God's working on in your heart and you can kind of like chew on it, process through it for a few months. People are like, wow, that's not, that's not bad. But I had like three months longer to prepare it than like when Robert preaches. He preaches every week. So anyways, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll get started. Father, I thank you so much for your presence with us this morning. I thank you that you're here with us. Um, I just ask that you give us ears to hear from your word Um, Give us a tender heart to hear from your spirit. And yeah, lead us and help us to be more like the people you want us to be, live more like uh, sent ones in the world after today. So we love you and thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so many of you guys know bits and pieces of my story. About 10 years ago, I went on my first trip to Uganda, and I was really going on this trip to experience my faith outside of my American bubble. Um, I I lived in sort of a box that I had created for God and how he worked, and I needed that box to be torn down, stretched, and replaced. And so I ended up going to Uganda, and while I was there, I met this really awesome Ugandan couple named Robert and Millie and was spending a lot of time with them, lived in their house for almost two weeks, and they were living in this way that I really needed to see at the time, they were living by faith, similar to, similar to kind of what you see in the book of Acts from my perspective. They had left six, like jobs as a successful nonprofit near the capital and moved to this remote city simply because they felt like God had given them direction to do that. They had no resources, no income when they moved. They just moved out of faith. Definitely not part of Dave Ramsey's plans for financial success, but they did it anyway. And so they moved to the city and had this like sense that they were supposed to start caring for kids. So when I met them, they had taken in a couple kids who were victims of child labor who the local police force had brought to them to kind of give them a space to, yeah, to stay and heal and live. And that's kind of the phase of life that they were in when I met them. They were in a house with no electricity, no running water, behind on rent, but just like living by a reckless sort of faith. Um, and I remember thinking like this, is kind of, like, this is crazy. Like, why would you take these risks and these steps? And I came back to the States really impacted by my time with them. And I remember about a, maybe a week after I got back having this conversation with Robert, 
And I knew that they had no resources, and I knew that they, they were broke. But we were having this conversation over Facebook, and he said there was this village nearby that was kind of up in the mountains, and a storm had come through and had like wiped out a lot of the buildings. They were like traditional buildings made with mud and thatch. And he said, well, we're going to go up there and help them rebuild. We need to get a generator. It's going to cost money to transport ourselves up there, but we're just going to go. And I'm like, why are you doing it? Like, why? You have, you have hardly any money to feed yourself or your family. Just stay home and focus on yourself. But that's what I was thinking. I wasn't going to say that, obviously. But I'm like, there's no way they're going to make it up there. But sure enough, I talked to him a few days later. And somehow, on their way, God had provided a generator for them to use and the money for transport. And they stayed up there and was able, were able to help this community rebuild for a couple days. A few weeks after that, Actually, it was maybe a little bit longer, maybe like six months. Um, I remember having this conversation with Robert, and he was telling me about this group of local pastors that he was discipling. And I asked him how he got involved in that. And he said, one day I woke up and was praying, and I felt like God told me to go to the bus station. And I was like, oh boy, here we go. (laughs) This is way outside of my box of how I understand God to work. And so anyways, Robert goes to the bus station, and he's just moseying around the bus station. And this guy comes up to him and says, are you a pastor? And he says, actually, I kind of am. He said, would you be willing to come to my village near us? There's about 20 local pastors who run these little house churches. They're not paid. They're just faithful followers of Jesus. But they, need, they want discipleship. They want training. Would you be willing to come train us? And so sure enough, he said yes. And a few months after that, I was actually there again, and I got to show up at this, like their graduation ceremony for this discipleship school, this training school. And I got to stand there like the goofy white guy handing out certificates, you know, to these people who had um, passed this course. And I had done nothing to deserve to be a part of that. Like if I was at any stage in that journey, I would have said, like, I'm not going to go to a bus station, you know, just for no reason. But sure enough, they did that. They, they responded in obedience. This couple in my life have been such a model of what it looks like to faithfully listen to God's voice and obey, and then I've watched them experience fruit over and over and over again. Now, to us in our world, our post-enlightenment Western world, this way of thinking and living is outside of our boxes, right? It's not what we would call normal. But in much of the global South, And especially in Scripture, this way of living and listening to God's voice is not so foreign. So the book of Acts, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, is like this collection of stories that if you really pay attention are just so wild. Like it's wild story after wild story. And we're going to jump into Acts 16, but to give a little backstory of what's happening in the life of Paul, we're going to start in Acts 16.6 if you want to open your Bibles there. There's this guy named Saul who is persecuting Christians. He has this like divine experience on the road. He's blinded. Long story short, he converts, becomes a follower of Jesus, and goes from persecuting and killing Christians to now becoming a missionary. And there's like this moment where he's praying with a bunch of religious leaders, other of like the church leaders, and there's this very clear sense that he and another guy in the group are set apart for a missionary journey. 
So it says they're fasting and praying, and it says Paul and Barnabas are to be sent on this journey. So immediately they leave and start traveling around town to town, places they don't know, people they don't know, preaching the gospel and sharing the good news of Jesus. Fast forward a few chapters, and Paul is now with this guy named Silas, another guy named Timothy, and the guy who's actually writing the book of Acts named Luke. And so we're going to start reading in Acts 16.6. They've got this little party together, and here's what's happening. It says, Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. So they have this idea, this strategy, they're going to go to Asia, but somehow, we don't really know how or why, but the Holy Spirit prevents them from going there. Then, coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia, but again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So whether it's physical obstacles or the Lord's voice, again, they're prevented from going where they want to go. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with them, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. So let's just summarize one of these wild stories from Acts that just happened, okay? So they're on this journey, going to places they've never been before. They end up at a port where they did not expect to end up. Who knows where they're sleeping? Paul has a dream, wakes up and tells his friends the dream the next morning, and they're like, okay, yeah, let's go to Macedonia. Like, that sounds, that's kind of crazy. I mean, a couple weeks ago, I took a road trip. We went on a little vacation with my family in our minivan with two kids. I'm going to need a serious sign from the Lord if I'm going to take a trip in a minivan with kids for six hours, right? These guys are hopping on a boat for two days and walking simply because of a dream. Like, that's wild. I, had a, I actually had a dream last night that I felt was kind of funny considering what was happening this morning. I had a dream that I was, gonna be, that I was preaching at a megachurch, but there were only like 10 people, and it was like this gigantic auditorium. And then before too long, it like somehow devolved into like a Jurassic Park scene. And I'm really hoping that that dream is not prophetic this morning at all. But this one was. They were, they were all in. They decide, okay, we're packing our bags. We're hopping on a boat. We're going to hitchhike via boat to Macedonia. So that's what they do. They go. Verse 11 says, We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace, and the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia in a Roman colony, and we stayed there several days. Verse 13, on the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer, and we sat down to speak with some women who gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guest. If you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we did. So they go to this city based off this dream. Maybe they're looking for this man from Macedonia, but they're down by the riverbank and there's this group of women. They share the good news with her. She believes. She responds in hospitality. 
they come to her home and stay with her. Pretty wild story. So this kind of living, joining in with God and and joining God's invitation to be a part of what he's doing in the world seems so foreign to us. Like imagine if God gave you a feeling like that and responding in faith. Sometimes it requires a willingness to be silly, maybe even a willingness to be wrong. I believe that God does speak to us still today. He's not done speaking to us. But through dreams, visions, maybe inclinations, feeling holy nudges, maybe the scripture, God speaking to us through scripture, God wants to highlight for us, I believe, people that we are called to, sent to, whether it's our neighbors, whether it's our coworkers, whoever it is, I believe God is wanting to send us. Paul had the courage to listen to God's voice. But for us in our world, it's challenging. It's difficult to have the courage to step out and listen. I think a lot of times, well, first of all, I, one reason I'm, I'm talking about this is I feel like sometimes for us, this is a very difficult thing. And it's not just for us individually, but for microchurches too. Like a huge piece of who we are or who we want to be as microchurches are communities of people who are sent into our neighborhoods and in our city to love and serve people. And I think a lot of times there's, if you're like me, there's this barrier that we can feel to be able to do that. It feels so overwhelming to to know who we're sent to, to know who we're called to be around. I think we can talk about it or think about it in ways that requires like big official, official partnerships with paperwork where we sign on the dotted line or there's all this human strategy and ideation to get to this place where we have this perfect partnership, which sometimes that is required. Sometimes it ends up having a logo and a brand and a name. Think about like Wonder School. Wonder School is one of our micro churches here and it's something we're really proud of. And it's required all those things, but has created opportunity to really love and serve an area and a demographic in our city. But first, first of all, not all of them require that, but that's never the first thing that's required. The first thing that's required is simply listening and obeying. Ignoring that voice, though, can also, ignoring that voice can be easier than listening to it, right? And ignoring that voice, I've seen this in my own life, can become very habitual. It can become very normal to just ignore the inclinations that God gives us, and then we become callous in our hearts because I'm not willing to feel silly. I'm not willing to be embarrassed. I'm not willing to be wrong. But God is inviting us, I believe, to be courageous and to step out and sometimes respond to these dreams or these inclinations or to Scripture in faith. So I'm going to summarize a little, I mean, we're going to keep going here. There's more in this chapter that has to do with this. So I'm going to summarize a little bit the rest of the chapter, chapter 16. So Paul and his friends have this success down by the river, right? They meet Lydia and her household, and somehow they end up planning a house church uh, down by the river. So they keep going back down by the river to this place of prayer to meet people and have conversations. So They're going down by the river, and there's this demon-possessed slave girl, is what the scripture says, who is 
essentially harassing them, saying these things over and over. And Paul gets like annoyed by it, casts the demon out of this girl. And sure enough, this girl is like owned, she's owned by slave owners, essentially pimps, who are using her, her basically this curse that's on her life to make profit for themselves. She was like on the street telling fortunes. So her owners get angry, have Paul and Silas thrown into prison. So at this point, I'm like starting to notice some discrepancies in Paul's dream and what happened, right? I'm like, wait a second. We didn't even meet a Macedonian man. We met a woman from Thyatira. She's from Asia. She's not even from Macedonia. Thanks for the dream, Paul. <laughs> now we're in prison. They get, they get beaten with rods, flogged. They're in stocks, and they're essentially thrown in what is like a max security area of this local jail. Things are not going well anymore. The high, if I'm there, has quickly left. But not so much for Paul and Silas. Somehow they remain faithful. All of this happens to them, and their response is to pray and sing. So they're in this prison at midnight, praying to God and singing these songs of praise, and it says that everyone in the prison can hear them. So out of nowhere, they're singing and praying. This is a crazy story, right? All of a sudden, an earthquake comes, and the foundations of the prison begin to shake. The, the prison doors fly open, the chains fall off, and everyone is free. Prison guard comes out, sees all the doors open, and pulls out his sword to take his own life because he realizes if all these guys get away, what happens to me is going to be worse than if my, I took my own life. Paul calls out from one of the prison cells and is like, wait a second, buddy, we're all here. Don't do it. Put your, so the guy puts his sword back in his sheath and says, like he's heard all this singing, all this praising. He knows what's going on, like something supernatural is happening. So he literally says to them, what must I do to be saved? Like, what can I do to follow this Jesus that you're singing about, this God that you're praying to? They leave the, they leave the prison with the prison guard, go to his house, share the gospel with his entire house, and by 8 a.m., the whole household is baptized. <laughs> now, I've, like, taken some church planting courses and seen some, like, church planting strategy Never seen that one before. Never seen that one. Like you get thrown in jail and by 8 a.m. somehow you've planted a church. That's insane. But that's literally what happens to these guys. They plant two churches in a short period of time almost by accident, simply by listening to God's voice. So for us, what does this have to do with us? Because this feels so foreign, right? This way of life, these things that are happening, earthquakes, demon-possessed girls, chains, like this is just crazy stuff, right? But it happened. So what does it have to do with us? You know, it's funny. I think Christians can fall into the trap of being closed-minded, right? Like I've met my fair share of closed-minded Christians over the years. But as I'm reading this story, I'm like, man, there's not really a lot of space for closed-mindedness in Christianity because this stuff, like to listen to God's voice, 
to believe that God could work in the way that is told in the scriptures requires a little bit of an open mind, doesn't it? It requires us to go beyond our intellectualism and just thinking about everything from a scientific worldview, but to recognize that God works in ways often that we don't understand. So another piece, another piece about this. I kind of already alluded to this. A huge reason of why I'm, I want to talk about this is very, I think, utilitarian. Like, I wanted to, to speak from the scripture because I recognize an obstacle, sort of like a hurdle that we're facing in our community, sort of overcoming the obstacle of really being active and learning how to love our neighbors and serve in our community, right? This can be a very tough thing. So I feel like I'm very, very utilitarian in that. And I see a little bit of that in the scripture too here. I see this really interesting piece in the story that would be very easy for us to to skip over where Paul is on a mission. I feel like Paul and his homies are very, very utilitarian here. They're like, we're going down to the river. We're going to share the gospel with people. And hopefully, you know, there'll be people who are like Lydia who can lead us to their household. Maybe they can be leaders in the church. And they're going down to the river, and day after day after day, there's this little demon-possessed slave girl who, at least from my perspective, I might be wrong, but it seems like they're overlooking a little bit. Like it seems like Paul actually cast the demon out of this girl. It says because he's exasperated, which is so fascinating to me. I believe that as leaders, as religious leaders, we can be utilitarian. We can have like this mission. And I can can show up on a Sunday morning and think, okay, I really want each of us in this room, each of our microchurches and each of us as individuals to begin to do a thing. Like I want us to learn how to serve and be active in our community. But in doing so, actually miss you, right? Miss the reality of what's going on in your lives, the struggles, all those things. And I I can't help but wonder if maybe Paul was simply overlooking this girl. And what I love about this story is if we really dig into it, what we're seeing, it's not a story about God's, simply God's divine strategy to get things done. He's not just about getting his people to do things to check a list of spiritual boxes that we're supposed to check. God sees us. Even as leaders, when we don't see people, God sees people. This isn't just about a list of things to do. God sees you. God saw, even when Paul did not see, did not notice this little slave girl, and see an opportunity to glorify God and set her free. If I'm correct and he missed that, God didn't miss it. What if, what if God gave Paul a dream of a Macedonian man, not so that Lydia would start a house church or just so that this prison guard would start his own church and his whole family would be saved, but so that a little girl would come to faith and be set free? What if God wants us to respond in faith, not so that we can do these big strategic things of like 
just planning churches and micro churches and checking up list of things to do that we're serving people. But what if there are little girls, individuals, people who God just wants to set free, who we don't always see, but God sees? God is not utilitarian. God sees us. He knows our stories. Yes, God calls us like he called Paul to step out in faith so that we can be a part of the things that he's doing. But all of that takes place within a sea of divine love. Every boat that we're called to jump onto to go love our neighbors and be with them and serve people It's all an act of love. It's an invitation of us for love to be with him, to join him him in what he's doing because he sees us and he loves us. So there may be some of us here this morning that a call to go meet a Macedonian man somewhere feels very overwhelming. This story might feel overwhelming. But the most important thing is that God sees you. Yes, God speaks to us and says, go. He says, go. But first, he always says, I see you. I know you. I love you. I've been with you. It might feel, it might feel in seasons like I, I haven't been there. You might feel lost, like you're off course. You might feel silly. You might feel crazy. You might not be sure about this faith thing. But I'm with you. And so this this act of faith, faith of listening to God's voice, listening to holy nudges and inclinations and dreams and visions. What's the fruit of it? What's the fruit of it in this story? We see years and years later, Paul writes a letter to the church at Philippi. A collection of house churches and people who've been set free who are sitting there listening to his letter. Who's maybe sitting there? Maybe Lydia, maybe her household. Maybe it's a prison guard and his family. Maybe it's prisoners who were there in that prison. Maybe it's a little girl who's now growing up in the faith and has a community of faith and family because God has set her free. All because Paul said yes to a crazy dream. All because Paul and his friends were willing to to listen to God's voice. We're willing to be silly. We're willing to be foolish and maybe even to be wrong. So we're going we're gonna to take some time now. I'm going to invite Matt Mikulowski to come up and we're just going to take some time to listen to God's voice um, and hear what he's saying to us. And I hope that as microchurches and as a community, we can begin to practice this regularly, just listening to God's voice. What is he saying to us? Is he asking us to speak a word of encouragement? Is he asking us to go somewhere, to reach out to somebody? So Matt, come on up and lead us. Thanks, man. Thank you. I'm going to lead us into three different moments of listening prayer. I'm gonna read some scripture, give an image that we can kind of hold on to with that scripture, and then ask a question. And after that question, I just invite you to just spend some time in silence and just think about and ask God what's coming up for me. Um, However you're coming in, whatever you're coming in with, I I just do believe that God could just speak to you and speak to us here. Um, Whether you feel like you're not holy enough 
to hear of the voice of the Lord or 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 you're just have distrust towards God. I just believe that God is just not a normal traditional father. He he really does want to speak to us and love us. And so I just want to open us up in prayer um, and just invite you to just um, get into a comfortable posture. If, if you feel like standing and pacing in the back, go for it. If you feel like taking your shoes off, go for it. Um, whatever is comfortable for you. So let me open us in prayer, and I'll jump into the first moment of listening prayer. Jesus, we, we, we just need your help in hearing your voice. On behalf of Redemption Hill, would you remove the barriers that get in the way of us hearing your voice? If there's distractions, would you just hold on to them for a moment? If there's hard-heartedness or we have just hard minds, would you soften them? If there's skepticism, would you give us faith? Um, if there's distrust, would you in this moment give us trust? If there's bitterness or resentment or unforgiveness in us, would you just free us and lead us into forgiveness? And if there's sin, would you wash over our sins and forgive us? Forgive us, Lord, for the ways we've just taken matters into our own hands and tried to find life apart from you. Forgive us of our, our pride, um, our unhealthy um, appetites, ambitions, idols of, a, of, of approval. Would you just heal us, Lord, and free us? Give us more of your spirit. Help us to listen and hear your voice. Empower us as a community. And would you just confirm um, with scripture, with affirmation, and a deep knowing that it's your voice above all. Silence the calls from the enemy. Your voice is welcome, and just give us courage and a childlike ear to embrace it. The first moment is titled Identity. This comes from Mark 1. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Before the cross, before the miracles, before the disciples, God spoke identity over Jesus. In your mind's eye, I want you to imagine that you are standing in a warm pool of water in the woods. Jesus steps into this pool with you. What does it feel like? What does it look like to you? Now imagine you go over to Jesus to have him baptize you. In his arms, he dunks you under the water, and when you come up from the water, you wipe your eyes. Jesus turns to you and speaks identity over you. What does Jesus say to you? Who does Jesus call you? The second moment, preparation. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended to him. Jesus followed the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. He fasted, he prayed, he connected with angels, and said to the enemy, no. And he, he left this place being full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus entered into the wilderness with his identity and left with it being activated 
and empowered? How might Jesus be wanting to activate and empower our identities? Um, Holy Spirit, where are you inviting us to go to prepare, to be empowered, to be activated in our identities? What are you inviting us to do? Where are you inviting us to go to prepare, to be empowered, to activate our identities? What are you inviting us to do? The third moment, mission. After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Jesus, full of the Spirit, started operating in his identity in a city, sharing good news. In this last moment, Jesus, would you speak to us on where you are sending us in our microchurches, to whom you are sending us in our microchurches? Jesus, where are you inviting us in our microchurches to go, and what are you inviting us to do? Where are you inviting us to go? And what are you inviting us to do? We pray you'd bring up specific houses, names. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org connection, where you can fill out the connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at Redemption Voices. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.